Hey everyone, thanks for tuning into this week's message on the Antioch Indie Podcast. We hope you can step away from this message being encouraged and blessed and to move into your week in the mighty name of Jesus. Have a great day. Amen, amen. Go ahead and take out your Bibles. Take out something uh, to take notes with. If you didn't bring a Bible, don't have a Bible, uh, there's one under your seat that is for you. It doesn't have your name on it, but it can if you put it in there. And you can take it and keep it with you, keep it or give it away or whatever it is that you want to do. And uh, we're a, we're a note taking church, so go ahead and grab something. Elbow the person next to you if they don't have anything. Just give them the church elbow. Are you glad that you sat next to the person you sat next to? Okay, good. We could do a shuffle if needed. <laughs> All right, open up to um, Matthew chapter 16 and Acts chapter 1. This morning we're going to be in two different places, and I believe in you. You can handle it. We uh, are going to have a good time, the rest of the church here. I am uh, really excited because we're starting a new series this morning. And uh, did anybody enjoy last week's message from Karis? That was just, that was one of those you need to go back to a couple of times. Uh, you didn't get the whole thing, even if you were here. So we'll just keep going back to that one. That was good. We are starting a new series this morning that I'm uh, really super pumped about, which might be weird because I'm not normally super pumped, you know. Uh, but genuinely, I'm really excited about this. And this series that we're jumping into, one of the reasons I, I'm legitimately super pumped is that I just, I just believe that what God has to say over the next five weeks is, is really something that God wants to say to us. And we are always, as a team, you know, asking God and talking together, like, okay, what, what direction should we go? I mean, there's a lot in the Bible. What should we talk about, you know? And when, and all of these sort of things. And months ago, we planned that we were going to start a series like this. And, uh, and over the last three or four weeks, um, God has just been speaking about this theme that we were heading into for months. And it's one of those, like, God's always saying it, but it feels like he's extra saying it right now. So I hope that you are ready to, to receive something. The good thing about the Word of God is that it's not not just an empty word. When God speaks, he, he, he speak, it comes with extra stuff. It's not just words on a page. Like It comes with power. It comes with life. It comes with breakthrough. It comes with ability. And so I want you to be expecting that you are going to have more of those things over the next five weeks than you do right now. I want you to receive the word of God. Open up your heart. God, Jesus said that the word of God, uh, he sows it and it's all good seed, but sometimes our, heart, our, our heart's not good. And I want, I want us to take personal responsibility of opening up our hearts and making sure that we've got some good soil in there. Is anybody, is anybody good soil already? Okay, it might take five weeks to get me there, but I'm going to get there. I'm going to get the good soil. We're calling this series The Church God Builds. The Church God Builds. I want you to write that at the top of your page. And in many ways, the church that God builds is the the great big narrative of the Bible and of history. It, it, that is the narrative of God and humanity, is the church that God builds. The Bible and, and history really kind of in the most macro sense is the story of God building relationship with humanity and establishing his kingdom, and that's church. That's what we're living in the most macro sense, this reality of God having relationship with humanity and establishing his kingdom on the earth. That's what church is. Church is not just an event on Sunday. Church is the people of God, us, participating with our God to see his kingdom on earth as it is in heaven. 
God has always been building his church. I love Karis, what she said last week. She said uh, like something about how the Old Testament wasn't a different God you know, than the New Testament, and God got a personality change and all that. It's all the same, same God, and it's the same narrative in the Old Testament as we're living today. The Old, the Old Testament is one great big story, again, in the macro sense of God creating humanity for relationship for the sake of partnering with humanity to establish his rule and reign on earth. That, that's what every little story is about in the big sense, in, in the Old Testament. Early on, though, humanity breaks that relationship, right? We, we break that relationship with God, and we rebel right at the beginning. And so the, that's at the very beginning of time and of the Old Testament. And so the rest of the Old Testament is God pursuing humanity. God pursuing humanity so that he can restore the relationship he created humanity for and restore humanity to the purpose that he made humanity for, to establish his rule and reign on the earth. And the Old Testament has a lot of stuff in it, and it's a lot of cycles of of ups and downs along the way as humanity cycles through faithfulness and rebellion. And I just wonder if maybe anybody's ever been on that cycle, (laughs) the the up and down one, you know, (laughs) where like sometimes you're doing good and sometimes you're not. That's the story of the Old Testament, but God is faithful in the midst of it as he pursues his people. And in the New Testament, the the narrative continues as Jesus, the Son of God, takes on flesh and bone, and he lives the life that humanity could not live for itself, that we could not live for ourselves. And and, and he he, he takes on this life, and he humbles himself to death on a cross, meaning he humbled himself to death on a cross because he didn't deserve it. He didn't deserve to die, let alone die on a cross. And he died so that the death that he died could satisfy the death that we owed for our own sins, for our own rebellion, for the the down part of the cycle. And the up part too, right? (laughs) He gives himself as the payment of our sin, but he's not done. He's not done when he died, amen? Amen. He raises from the grave so that not only could he die the death that we owed to our sin, but now that we can have the life that he lives to God. And he didn't stop there. He didn't stop just to give us life. Then he ascends and he pours out his spirit so that by his very spirit we might have the relationship with him that we were made for. By his spirit we can again be children of God, restored to the relationship we were made for, restored to the purpose that we were originally created for and called to. This is the story of God. This is the story of God and humanity. And over this series, we are going to be going through the book of Acts. I know I had you open up to Matthew. We're just going to be there briefly. It's okay. I'm sorry if it's an Acts series, but we're talking about Matthew. We'll get to, we'll get to the Acts. And the book of Acts, what the book of Acts is, is it's, it's the account of what happened when God, after this whole big long time of history after restoring relationship with humanity through Jesus what happened when he restored humanity to its purpose by the filling of the Holy Spirit that is the story of the book of Acts Acts the rest of the New Testament the rest of church history the breath that you just took is the unfolding of and the exploration of the church that God builds in first Kings where that one come from I won't make you turn there. But in 1 Kings, God commissions this king named Solomon to build Solomon's own house and to build a temple, to build God's house. 
And God, uh, the, the, God's house is called the temple. And the temple was God's house, the place where God would dwell with humanity on the earth so that he could be in relationship with his people. And in 1 Kings uh, 7, verses 9 and 10, it, it says this. I'm going to have to read it because I forgot to my bookmark. Do you realize I do that all the time? Like, when am I going to learn? I was two for three today. But anyways, it says this. All of these is talking about how Solomon, when he was building his house, he says all of these were made of costly stones. He's talking about everything that they were built. And everything was made of costly stones, cut according to the measure, sawn with saws, back and front, even from the foundation to the coping, and from the outside to the great court. It was nice. And verse 10 says, the foundation was of costly stones, huge stones. The foundation was huge, costly stones. Can you imagine a foundation of precious stones? I don't know which ones he used, but apparently they were precious, whatever they were. Like, pick a precious one. (laughs) Can you imagine a foundation Not up in the safe, in the jewelry box. Down underneath in the foundation. Precious stones. See, what God wanted to build was so precious that even the foundation was laid with precious stones. God builds his church on a foundation of precious stones. He he wants us, he wants his people, he wants his church to be built and rooted on something that will last. God's not messing around with foundations, right? Because what he has to build is way too precious to let it fall later. Just like any sort of of real estate, you you can build a great life even if you skimp on the foundation. You you could build a great house, even if you skimp on the foundation. You can build a life that's just as good as anyone else who takes their time on the foundation. Like, you can be the one that skimps. Somebody else can take their time to build on a great foundation. And you can build an equally great house or, or even a better house, even if you don't take the time on your foundation. The difference between the foundations isn't what you can build on top of them. The difference is which one will last. One with a strong foundation, one with a weak foundation. It's not what you build on the foundation that is different. It's how long what you build will last. When you're laying that foundation, the foundation of your life, the foundation or in just in real life, the foundation of the thing that you're building. Let's say you're going to go build a house and you're the one that decides, I'm going to take my time extra time on this foundation. You're going to be that one who takes the extra time. You're going to look around at other people building their lives, building their houses. And you might watch other people around you create what it is that you're trying to create a lot faster than you. You might wonder if it's worth it. You might wonder if you might wonder what's taking so long. You might wonder if you're making any progress. You might be embarrassed for doing something so foolish as laying foundations with precious stones. You might feel a lot of things when you decide to lay a foundation of precious stones. But one thing that you won't do is fall. You may think a lot of things, feel a lot of things, but you won't fall. Someone may get what you think you want faster than you, but they won't be able to keep it as long as you do. Someone might get what you want in life cheaper than you get it for, but they won't make it through the same storms you make it through. See, no one needs an ark until it rains, right? 
No one needs a foundation until the ground shakes. No one needs a foundation until the wind blows. No one needs a foundation until some time passes. Nobody needs a good foundation until what you build starts to fill. Nobody needs a strong foundation until what you build starts to serve the purpose for which you built it. And what God builds, he builds to last. And some of you are feeling like God said he would build you up. And he is. He's just doing it by digging deep. You thought God was going to use you where you are, and he is, but he's got to build you first. He's going to use you. He is using you, but he's got to build you first. You thought God gave you a promise, and he did. You're just in the middle of it. You know, sometimes we don't realize that in between Joanna Gaines sending us the thing on the computer and Joanna Gaines walking us through our, our fancy fixer-upper is a whole lot of chip gains swinging a sledgehammer. Am I right? Don't get impatient. Let them build. Don't get cheap. Let them build. Don't, don't let a whole, whole bunch of pain derail you. Don't quit. God's on schedule. God's on schedule. Your build is on schedule. Let them build. There are four cornerstones that lay the foundation for the church that God builds, and that's what I want to start our series on this morning. If I'm going to talk about foundation like this, we better start there, right? How weird would that be if I just moved on? <laughs> just like any good foundation, there are four cornerstones that make up the foundation of the church that God builds, and that's what I want to talk about this morning. I, t- I had you turn to Matthew chapter 16. In Matthew 16, God is doing his, he's, he's doing his thing. Jesus is, is, is living his ministry. He's doing all the things that Jesus did. There's a lot there, so I won't even try to summarize it. But Jesus is doing Jesus things in Matthew 16. And uh, there's been a lot that has happened. There's still a lot that is going to come. Uh, Jesus, his crucifixion is getting closer in time. He's, he's getting closer to the end of the road here, and he knows that. And so if, if you notice, like, you can kind of, as you read the Bible, you kind of can tell when Jesus starts really realizing, man, the end is near, because his tone sort of changes on some things. His conversations get pretty direct. And uh, it's just exciting things start to happen. So Matthew 16, Jesus is doing his ministry. He's walking on the street with his friends. And this conversation happens between Jesus and his disciples here in Matthew chapter 16. We're going to start in verse 13. If you're there, say, I'm there. All right. Now, when Jesus came into the district of Caesarea Philippi, he asked his disciples, who do people say that the Son of Man is? And they said, Well, some say John the Baptist, others say Elijah, and others Jeremiah, or one of the prophets. And Jesus said to them, but who do you say that I am? Simon Peter replied, you are the Christ, the Son of the living God. And Jesus answered, Peter, blessed are you, Simon Barjona, for flesh and blood has not revealed this to you, but my Father who is in heaven. And I tell you, you are Peter, and on this rock I will build my church, and the gates of hell shall not prevail against it. I think it's worth noting that Jesus cared a lot more about what we say about him than what others might say, right? Let's focus on us a little bit. The first cornerstone of the foundation of the church that God builds is revelation. Revelation. Jesus says, you are Peter, and on this rock I will build my church. 
Peter, his name means rock. So it's kind of Jesus doing this play thing on there. Like, you are a rock, and on this rock, I'm going to build my church. And sometimes, I don't know if you've ever had conversations around this passage with people. Uh, if, that's, if not, that's fine. If you have, then you probably maybe have had this type of conversation where it's like, well, what exactly is the rock? You know, like, Peter, because, like, his name is rock, but, like, I thought Jesus was the rock. <laughs> so how, how is Jesus going to build the church on Peter if Jesus is, like, the cornerstone and he is the rock? I thought Jesus was the rock. So was the rock what Peter said? Or what, what, what's the rock? Is the rock Peter or is the rock what Peter said? <laughs> Even though us Christians really get, dig, dig deep into those things. Which, which one of us is right? <laughs> so what's the rock? Is it Peter or is it what Peter said? I think the answer is yes. I would submit to you the answer is yes. That the cornerstone of the church that God builds is humanity carrying the revelation of who Jesus is. Humanity carrying the revelation of who Jesus is. It's the, it's the rock. I mean, come on. Like, what are we even doing here if he's not who he says he is? What are we even doing here? There's this rock, this cornerstone that falls into place when a, when a human or humanity at large grabs on to the reality of who Jesus really is. That's who we are built on. We are built on the revelation of Jesus. We are not built on attaining power. We are not built on our preferences. We are not built on our opinions, our models of organizations or buildings or programs or politics or even causes or comfort or norms. We are not built on any of those things. We are a people who stand. We are a people who stand. We are built to stand in a shifting world. We are, we are built to stand in a world of ebbs and flows, in a world that debates about Jesus and what Jesus was and who Jesus was and who do they say that I am. Well, some people say this and some people say that. And Jesus looks at his church and says, who do you say that I am? And we declare the revelation. Jesus Christ is the son of the living God. The Messiah. And when we answer the question, who is Jesus? Jesus answers our question, who am I? When Simon told Jesus who he believed Jesus was, Jesus told Simon who he was. Simon, you are Peter. And on this rock, this rock of a human getting a revelation of who Jesus really is, I will build my church. I will build my church and the gates of hell will not prevail against it. We've got to be a people of revelation. We've got to understand who Jesus is and we've got to understand who we are. So Jesus is the son of the living God, Matthew 16. The rest of Matthew happens. We're not going to go through all of those sort of things. We're going to go ahead and flip to the book of Acts. So the rest of uh, Matthew happens, which includes uh, this son of the living God dying and resurrecting. Two big things. If you haven't read that part yet, make sure you go back this week. <laughs> Between 16 and whatever it is, 28, make sure you read those chapters too. So Jesus, the son of the living God, he dies, he raises from the dead, and now we are getting to the book of Acts. We're at the book of Acts, and uh, Jesus is, is about to ascend to be with the Father. He's about to leave earth in the flesh, and he leaves with these words in uh, Acts 1, 4, 5, and 8. 
It says, while staying with them, Jesus ordered his disciples not to depart from Jerusalem, but to wait for the promise of the Father, which he said, you heard from me, for John baptized with water, but you will, you will, you will be baptized with the Holy Spirit not many days from now. Verse 8, and he says, when you, or he says, you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you. You will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. This is where Jesus leaves everything and then does something along the lines of disappear into some clouds or something. I wasn't there. But he's gone. He ascends to be with the Father and uh, they don't really know what to do now. <laughs> They've been through a lot, these disciples, right? I mean, let's, come on. They were in, on boats and tax collector stations and this rabbi guy comes up and calls them and they leave everything and there's miracles and there's craziness there's highs and there's lows and there's promises made and then there's this trial and then he dies and they're like no and he raises from the dead and they're like what and then there's like 40 days of him staying around and they're like cool I guess this is how this goes from now on like we just hang out with this risen guy and then he's like I'm leaving and they're like why (laughs) and he's like don't worry it's going to be better for you and they are thinking no it's not And he leaves them with these words, just wait. So they wait. He ascends. They don't really know what to do, so they just kind of do what he said. The last thing he said, well, I guess we're supposed to wait for something. Acts 1, 12 through 14 says that they returned to Jerusalem from the Mount called Olivet, where, which is near Jerusalem, a Sabbath day journey away. When they had entered, they went up to an upper room where they were staying, and Peter, John, and James, and Andrew, and Philip, and Thomas, and Bartholomew, and Matthew, and James, the son of Alphaeus, and son, Simon the Zealot, and Judas, the son of James. All of these were one accord, which probably means all of them were equally confused. All these with one accord were devoting themselves to prayer. I believe that 100%. And also, surely there were some moments of like, I guess we pray, right? <laughs> we're church people. I guess we should pray. Together, uh, they devoted themselves to prayer together with the women and Mary, the mother of Jesus, and his brothers. So here they are waiting. They're in an upper room. Been through some things together, and this is where it's left us. <laughs> in an upper room praying because we don't know what else to do. This is where we see the second cornerstone of the church. The, the cornerstone of response, response to this revelation. When, when we know that Jesus is the son of the living God, we must commit our lives to responding to what he says. When we know that Jesus is the son of the living God, we must commit to living lives that respond to what he says. Whether we get it or not, whether it makes sense or not, whether we have the whole picture or not, when God speaks, his church responds. And when we take God at his word, we see God's word come to pass. There they are. Jesus, you're the son of the living God. And it's that revelation that sort of carries them through limping through the, the, the crucifixion. It carries them through kind of sort of limping through the resurrection. It carries them through probably running, walking around with Jesus, the risen son of God, preaching about the kingdom, disappearing in and out of rooms for 40 days. Like, I don't know what's going on, but this is cool. And we were right, see? 
<laughs> like, like whoever you follow don't do that, you know. <laughs> so like this is awesome, and then he ascends, and it's like, my goodness, what do we do? All we know is that he is who he says he is. And if he is who he says he is, then what else can we do but do what he says? And so we will respond to this man, this son of the living God. We will respond to this word, wait. And God does what God said he would do. In Acts 2, 1 through 3, it says this. When the day of Pentecost arrived, they were all together in one place. And suddenly, somebody say suddenly. Sometimes God takes a long time to move suddenly. I heard somebody recently say, you know, we got to believe that, we got to know that our God, and if you look through the Bible, when God moves, he moves suddenly. And so we've got to respond suddenly. When God's on something, we've got to do it now. It maybe took a long time to get here, but it's happening now. Suddenly. And suddenly there came from heaven a sound like a mighty rushing wind, and it filled the entire house where they were sitting, and divided tongues of fire appeared to them and rested on each one of them. Revelation and response. It sort of becomes this like Holy Ghost hyperloop in your life. Anybody Star Trek fans? Me neither. I've never seen Star Trek. I don't know anything about Star Trek. And honestly, I have no idea what a hyperloop is. But in my head, a hyperloop is like a big black hole, which maybe that's just a black hole. I don't know. But it's this black hole that has like a really strong gravitational pull and it just like sucks you in, you know? Like I've heard that that's what's scary about black holes. They just suck you in, you know? And, and this, this cycle of revelation and response builds this black hole with a gravitational pull in your life that, like, the more you get caught in the cycle, the more you get sucked into it. And this is a very good thing. <laughs> it's a very, very good thing. Like, Jesus, Jesus re- reveals himself to you, and when, you, when he reveals himself to you, you, he reveals you to you. And when you start to understand who you are and who he is, you start to hear him speak more clearly. And when you hear him speak clearly, you start responding more because you're not distracted by chasing any other voices to tell you who you are because his voice told you who you are and you trust that because he is who he says he is. So when he says to do something, you start doing it. And when you do it, all of a sudden he shows himself to you more. And you didn't realize that that word that was confusing and hard and you didn't know what the point was. You came to the end of it and you may still not know what the point was, but you know him more and he revealed himself through it. And so now there's more revelation. And the more you see him, the more you start to see you. And the more you start to see him and you, the more you start to hear him. And the more you know who he is and you are and know his word, you start to respond more. And then you respond again and you start to see more of him again. And when you saw more of him again, you saw more of you again. And then you started hearing him more again. And so you started saying yes more again. And then you saw him more again. And it's like, wow, you know, and then like things can shake, but you can stand because I don't know what's going on, but I know who he is. I heard somebody this week going through something said, I don't know what I'm going to do, but I know who I am. And I thought everybody step back because whatever it is, it's going to be good. The world needs a church like that. Well, what's going on? What's the answer? Why is it like this? Why is it like that? I don't know exactly what is all going on, but I know who he is and I know who I am. And so I will respond to what he says. Because when I respond to what he says, he does what he says he will do. 
We can't just know who he is. We have to respond to who he is. We can't just know who we are. We have to respond to who we are. We can't just know what he says. We have to respond to what Jesus says. So they respond. They wait. Jesus does what Jesus promised that he would do. Even in the questions and the confusion, Jesus did what he said he would do. Even in the questions and the confusion, Jesus does what he says he will do. Even in the questions and the confusion, Jesus is going to do what he told you he was going to do. Okay, I won't, I won't go on a side sermon there, but we could. He pours out the Holy Spirit. He said, wait, I'm going to do it. And they're like, I don't even know what that is. But we'll wait. It's a mighty sound. Something like tongues of fire rest on the disciples. And the whole city hears this mighty sound that goes on. And they come and they gather around this house. And the disciples, they, start, they learn instantaneously new languages. And so they stand up and they start to declare this revelation of Jesus to a city who is gathered around a sound. Start declaring it in all these different languages. Everybody hears the gospel, this good news, this revelation of this man Jesus in their own language. And Peter, this rock, he stands up and he preaches a message and he reveals who Jesus is. In Acts chapter 2, verses 36, he, he's done this whole big message. He's coming to the close and he says, Let all the house of Israel therefore know for certain, know for certain, know for certain that God has made him Jesus, both Lord and Christ, this Jesus whom you crucified. He was the Christ, the Son of the living God. He preaches a revelation of Jesus to the people who have gathered. He reveals who Jesus is. And when he reveals who Jesus is, the people see who they are. It is the revelation of Jesus that shows them who they really are. Verse 37, it says, Now when they heard this, they were cut to the heart. They were cut to the heart. Peter says, This man Jesus was who you've been waiting for, and you crucified him. It doesn't sound loving, but it was because it's the truth. And when you reveal Jesus, Jesus reveals who we are. And they're cut to the heart. They get a revelation of who they are. And this leads to a response. The crowd hears the revelation of Jesus. They get a revelation of who they are. And it leads to a response at the end of verse 37. They say, now when they heard all of this, they were cut to the heart and said to Peter and to the rest of the apostles, brothers, what shall we do? What do we do? What, what do we do? And the Lord drops the third cornerstone of the foundation of his church, the church that God builds in verse 38, and Peter said to them, repent. Repentance. Repentance, the third cornerstone of God's church. You can't have church without repentance. And uh, this word gets a really bad reputation and a bad label for like being a bad word, a religious word, like a fire and brimstone word, like a those people always shout that word, word. But it's a good word. It's a good word. It's a great word. It means to, to turn aside. It means to turn around, to be headed in one way, but turn around and go the other way. And if you've ever repented, you know what it's like to have repentance be a good word. When you know you're headed one way, 
And you realize, I have got to turn. I have got to turn. And you repent and you turn aside, you turn around and you go the other way. See, church happened. Church happened when a people got a revelation of Jesus. And when they got a revelation of Jesus, they got a revelation of their own shortcomings. They responded to the outpouring of his grace and his invitation through repentance. That's when church happened. By turning from their ways to follow Jesus. From deciding there is, there is no other way. There is no other truth. There is no other life. There is one way to get to where I am trying to go. And I am not on that way. And Jesus says, but you can come. And so they come and they repent. See, God convicts us of sin. The Holy Spirit convicts us of our sin. But God does not want you to stay and live in the conviction of your sin. Conviction leads us to confession. See, conviction is like, I got something on the inside. Oh, geez. Okay, nobody's ever felt convicted before. You know, everything's fine. And then all of a sudden you're like, oh gosh. <laughs> I got something on the inside. But God doesn't want you living there. He's leading you somewhere. See, the conviction is a catalyst. I got something on my inside. I got something in here. He's leading you to confession. Let that thing out. <laughs> when God convicts you of what's on the inside, it's because he knows you need to let it out. And you don't want to let it out, but you need to let it out. And you kind of know you really want to, but you really don't. The conviction is, is, is supposed to lead you to confession. But God's will for you is not that you live in a cycle of conviction and confession. Because then that would mean that God's will for your life includes a lot more sin. Come on, somebody. Church isn't about being convicted and confessing your sin. Revival doesn't happen when you confess your sins. If any of this was the case, then to grow in God, to walk with God, to have revival, to have church, we would all need to keep on sinning. That is not what God has called you to. to get, he's called you to get convicted. He's called you to confess so that he can lead you to repent. Revival is not conviction and confession. It may start there, but revival is the living out of repentance. It's the living out of I was headed this way and now I'm going this way. And revival is the rest of your life headed in this direction. Now, I thought revival was this. that You might be alone, but it's still revival. Jesus was alone, but it was still resurrection. You can live this thing out. Live out your repentance. Work it out. Live out your freedom. Live out your purity. Live out your calling. You don't have to keep turning back down that road. That's not what God's asking of you. He's asking you to trust him that you really can leave that behind. And live your life living out repentance. They ask what they need to do. Peter calls them repent. Repent and be baptized, every one of you. And he goes on and he says, Repent and be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ, for the forgiveness of your sins, and you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. For this promise is for you and for your children and for all who are far off, everyone whom the Lord our God calls to himself. I want to know, is anybody included in you, your children, all, or everyone? Receive the fourth cornerstone of the church that God builds. 
The church cannot stand on anything less than a firm, full, complete foundation. We must be filled with the Holy Spirit. The church that God builds is a church full of the Holy Spirit. God's not trying to fix you. He's trying to make you completely new. Be born again. And church isn't an event that you attend. Church is a purpose that you get possessed for. This is the promise of God for you and for your children and for all who are far off, everyone whom the Lord calls to himself, that you would be possessed with the spirit of the living God. This is the story of the church. God wants to restore his people to relationship with him. God wants to restore his people in relationship with him so that they can partner with him in the purposes that he has for their lives and for the earth and for the people around them. Jesus didn't come to give you a better relationship with God. Jesus came to give you his relationship with God by the Holy Spirit. Jesus said he would build his church. He said that the church would receive power when the Holy Spirit comes upon you. If you want to grow an event, you need attendees. If you want to build something, you need workers. You need workers with power. You need workers who know what it is that they're doing. They need workers with the direction that they're headed, with ability to do the things that you've called them to do. Jesus is not growing something. He's building his church. He wants to build his church. And if he's going to build his church, we've got to let him build each one of us. Because what is church other than all of us? Together, but individuals. And if we are going to be the church that God builds, we have to first be the individual that God builds. We've got to be rooted as individuals in the revelation of Jesus. In the revelation of who we are by his grace. We have to respond by saying yes to anything and everything that he says. We need to repent and turn from the way that has taken us away from him and come back to the things that he's called us to. And we must receive the Holy Spirit. We must be filled. We must be filled, possessed by the Spirit of the living God. God is building his church. God is building a people who stand in the storm. God is building a people who destroy the works of the devil. God is the building a people who tear down the gates of hell. This is the church that God is building. I want you to stand up as we close this morning. We're going to worship like we always do. And we believe very strongly in the last 10 minutes of church. God's not done with you just because the message is over. Because you didn't come for a message, you came for him. And he's not done. Before we leave today, I just want to ask you the question, what do you need to do? Where are you at? What do you need to do? What cornerstone needs to drop into your life? And for anybody who's here this morning, if you don't know Jesus, if you've never given your life to Jesus, been born again and made new by this grace and mercy, today is the day. You don't have to go anywhere else. You don't have to look any further. Jesus is looking at you and saying, I know what your life says. I know what people have said. I know what some thoughts say. But Jesus is looking at you in the eyes this morning. And he just has one simple question. Who do you say that I am? Look into his eyes. Stay focused. Sometimes i got to grab my kid's face because they start looking around. And you've been looking around. And Jesus is grabbing your cheeks right now. And he just wants you to know. He wants you to answer this one question. It's all that matters. It's everything. Who do you Say that I am. 
If that's you this morning, talk with the person who, who brought you or come up here and have some prayer. We're going to have our prayer team come on up and as we always do, the people available to pray with you, you don't, you don't need to care what anybody thinks. Whatever you need, come forward and get prayer. Like we always say, we're in church for goodness sakes. Come get the prayer that you need. If you need a miracle, come and have somebody pray with you. If you need to repent and confess some sin, come and let it out and turn around. No sense waiting. It feels terrible holding that thing in anyways. <laughs> Been there. We're gonna have our team up here to pray. You might need a, a, a baptism of the Holy Spirit, a fresh baptism for the first time, whatever. If you're just like, I just need to get filled with God, have somebody pray with you. Open up your heart. Respond to his word and let him fill you this morning with the spirit of God. And just like Acts 2 said, if you need to be baptized this morning, we've got a tub right there. And uh, we're going to have one of some of our pastors over there. Just We're not going to stop the service or anything. It doesn't really matter. We want to celebrate with you. If you're here this morning, we've got shirts, we've got towels, we've got the whole business. So you've got no excuse. <laughs> if you're here this morning and you're saying, I, I need to give my life to Jesus or, or I need to be baptized. I've never been baptized before. I want you to come over and get baptized. Church is over. You don't have to stay in your wet clothes even very long. You're never going to have a better chance than this. You know, it's so convenient. I'm going to pray for us, and I'm going to ask that God would come and move and do what he always does, that he would fulfill his word over our life, that the Holy Spirit would fill us and move us forward and build us as his church. Lord, would you come in Jesus' name? Would you just open up your hands in front of you, just like we believe God wants us to receive something this morning? God, we receive. We receive your identity. We receive our identity. We receive your word. Lord, we receive the invitation to repentance. We receive the Holy Spirit this morning. Would you come and fire, God? Would you come and release a mighty sound in every heart? Would you release a mighty sound in our city, in our spheres of influence, in this nation and in the nations of the earth? God, we're asking for an outpouring of the Holy Spirit. Lord, we repent for our self-righteousness. We repent for our pride. We repent for the things that we care about more than what you say. We repent for caring more about what people think about us, even now in this moment. The person to our right and the person to our left, Lord, we've got to repent and embrace this thing that you've called us to. We love you. You are the one who has saved us. You are the one who has filled us. God, you are good. You alone are good. Give us a singular focus right now in this moment, God. A singular focus is your church. Possess us for the purposes that you've called us to. In Jesus' name. Come forward if you need prayer. Come forward if you need baptism. Come forward if you need to give your life to Jesus. And if you're not coming forward, let's worship Jesus like he's alive. Amen. Amen.
resurrection and by your life we live. We're asking God that you'd fill us with the life of Jesus this week. Uh, we want to know you, God. We want to walk with you. We're asking God over every, every friendship, every neighborhood, every workplace, every sphere of influence, every interaction that we have over this next week, that it would drip with the Holy Spirit. Lord, that your kingdom would come through our lives, every single one of us, Lord. Thank you that that is what you've called us to. Not the people on stage, but every single one of us, Lord. This is for all and for your children, for all who are far off, for everyone who God would call into himself. We thank you, Lord. We just pray that message over the nations of the earth this morning. This is for everyone. We thank you for that. Everything you've done, Lord, fill us with the Holy Spirit and give us power and boldness to carry it out you are. In this mighty name of Jesus, everybody, just lift up one shout of amen this morning. In Jesus' name, amen, 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 amen. Is God good? So good. So glad you decided to spend your Sunday morning here at church with us. I want to let you know about a couple of things before we leave. Number one, um, I'm going to have the team go through that chorus one more time after this is over. If you just need to worship for like another minute, you can do that. You can get your kids and bring them back in. And uh, if you're here and you're like, ah, oh, shoot, I missed my chance to get baptized. No, you didn't. The water's still there.